Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. This is your brother Mikhail Ahmed Smith here from Qalam. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures that we will always be able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of lis- listeners, so the support you give to this community in this effort brings immense reward. You never know who will benefit from your donation. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala sayyidina wa nabiyyina wa maulana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma inna nas'aluka al-huda wa tuqa wa al-afafa wa al-ghina ya rabbil alameen. Allah, we ask you for guidance. We ask you for taqwa, ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you to preserve our afia and health, ya rabbil alameen. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk wa hubba amalan yuqarribuna ila hubbik. Oh Allah, we ask you for your love. We ask you for the love of those actions that will gain your love. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the love of those people who love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or who that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. Part of loving the actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves also implies that one dislikes the actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes. Hence the reason why we're studying the different vices, the different sins, the different ma'asi that a person can be caught up in so that we can be aware of those sins, we can be aware of those things and protect ourselves from them. Um, in our last session, we spoke about akbarul uh, kaba'ir, which is the greatest of all uh, um, sins against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We spoke about shirk. But we didn't sp- speak about shirkul akbar, but shirkul asghar. The minor form of shirk, which in other words is called riyah, shirk al-khafi, the hidden shirk, the riyah. And we spoke about the dangers of riyah, and we spoke about how riyah affects a person and why it it, it is so bad. Uh, And it all came down, it all came, boiled back down to one word, which was uh, uh, dhulm. It all came back down to one word, which was dhulm. And dhulm. Uh, from a lexical perspective, normally we translate it, we say oppression, right? A volim in Arabic is someone who oppresses something. Um, but the, the real lexical meaning of volim was what? To put something where it didn't really belong, where it shouldn't, shouldn't be. So that person who is performing two rak'ah, two, two, two units of prayer for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but yet their attention is focused on, on, on getting someone else's love, getting someone, else's, uh, getting someone else to love them or accept them. They're wadu o shayfi ghayri mahalli. They put something where it doesn't belong. That worship should have been for Allah, but rather you've made it for someone else. Um, so that's what we spoke about um, yesterday, uh, last week. So this week, inshallah, we're going to be talking about the next two major sins. The next two major sins that really disconnect someone from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have a deep impact on who the person is. So Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi rahimahullah, he says, he says, وَلَمَّا ثُمَّ لَمَا كَانَ الظُّلْمُ وَالْعُدْوَانِ مُنَافِيَيْنِ لِلْعَدَلِ Once you understand that dhulm, this type of wadu'u shaykh, putting something where it doesn't belong, and adwan, adwan means to go past the limit of something. He says, once you've understand, understood and know that these two things, to, go, to put something where it doesn't belong and to go past the limit set by Allah, are opposed to justice. Adal, justice. They're opposed to that. Which is the basis for the heavens and the earth, which is the basis for why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets to this world and is the basis for, which why, for, the reason, the basis for why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the book. He said, then you can understand uh, He says, then you'll understand that one of the greatest enormities or greatest sins in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, and its level is of the highest because of the amount of corruption. How much corruption it caused. He says, he says, and it is that one kills their own child, uh, kills one their own child, which has no them, has no them. 
takes the life of this child. And he says what makes this sin even worse is the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made within the heart of the parent this natural love for their child. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in the heart of the, the parent this natural love in rahmah. But in spite of that, فَقَتَلَهُ خَشْيَةَ أَنْ يُشَارِكَهُ but he says, yet this person slaughters or kills this child out of fear that this, person, this child will share with their food or share with their wealth or share whatever, whatever it is that they have. So he says, Min This is one of the worst forms of dhulm or oppression. He says, Fratricide. Uh, someone killing their own parents. Like these two parents, which were the sabab, the cause for you to actually be on this, on this planet. He says, He's naming now all these different forms of qatl, murder. Right? And what we have to understand is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned that, and the Rasul sallallahu first and foremost, has explained to us that one of the things that will become very common as we get closer, subhanAllah, there's a hadith, that one hadith says one thing that will happen a lot as we get closer to Qiyamah is kathra to shurta. A lot of police. A lot of police. As you get closer to Qiyamah, kathra to shurta. A lot of police, a lot of police, right? You got the sheriff, you got this dude, you got that dude, you got all of these police. And then the Rasul Sallallahu he said, wa kathra to haraj, haraj, haraj. And Rasul, the, the Sahaba said, well, what is that, Ya Rasulullah? Rasul Sallallahu said, al-qatl, killing, murder. And Rasul Sallallahu he said, it will reach a point that the qatil doesn't know why they're killing and the maqtul doesn't even know why they're being killed. But just bloodshed, bloodshed, just uh, no regard for the sanctity of them. No regard for the sanctity of, that, of, of what life is, that gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we get closer to Qiyamah, that sanctity, that regard of the sanctified nature of life will completely be lost. Then Rasul Sallallahu said, Hatta to the point where Anas yakunut katuyur. Rasul Sallallahu said they'll be like birds. You ever throw food at a bunch of birds and watch how they like go at each other over it? Right? Like you throw it at the seagulls and one's holding it, he grabs it from him, then he hits him. SubhanAllah, Rasul Sallallahu said the way the people will be right before Qiyamah will just be like, like birds that you threw food at. Like how they interact with one another. So here, he explains, what he's explaining is that next thing right under shirk is qatl, the disregard for, for life. Um, and, and so he explains, but he says not all qatl is the same as well. There's different levels to that qatl, to, that, to, to shedding blood and murder, taking life. He says, he says, he says like killing children for no reason, like that you should have love for. And this was the state of jahiliyyah before the Prophet ﷺ came. Then he said, taking the life of one's own parents, taking the life of one's own family. And he says, He says, the levels of, of murder are worse in accordance to how much you should actually uh, have nusha or good, uh, good feelings or nasiha for the person. So he says, for that reason... I'll repeat that just so everyone can get that. He says, in accordance to the level of nasiha or, or uh, 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 good feelings you should have towards someone, the killing of that person is even more amplified. For example, he begins with al-anbiya, those who took the lives of the anbiya, whose only purpose is to bring us khair, whose only purpose is to bring us that gateway to the akhirah, to Allah's ridwan, to take the life of that person is of the highest levels. Then he says, al-ulama, the scholars of deen. And he goes through all of these different levels of how, how evil it would be. So he says, And subhanAllah, you notice when any nation colonizes another nation, one of the first thing they do is wipe out the scholars of that place. Right? They wipe them out. They're the first ones that have to go. Because those are the people that truly want khair for those people. So they're like, we got to wipe these people out. And that's one of the first things you see happen. So now, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah, rahimahullah, he just now talks about this sin of, of qatl. And so now, 
he, he talks about, can a person do tawbah for murdering someone? This is the question. Can a person actually do tawbah for mur murdering someone? Now the question is not that easy. Why? Because from one perspective, it's haqqullah. Right? So I can get forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But from a deeper perspective, which we all can understand, is it's a haqqul ibad. Right? So from that perspective, I've taken this life away. How could I ever get forgiveness? Because the person who would have to absolve me of the responsibility is now no longer living. So for that reason, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, he explains, He says, the deeper aspect of this is that there are three huquq that are attached to qatl. There are three rights that are attached to murder. He says, number one, haqqullah. Got that? Haqqullah. He says, number two, haqq lil maqtul. Right? The haqq for the maqtul. Now, there's a third right. What right is that? Exactly. So in Islam, what happens? If someone is, is murdered, what happens? Like, what, can you, what does the family have the right to do? Well, before the blood money. Take the life, right? Like, nah, I don't want no money. So what's money going to do? You took Abdullah's life. Go, right? And nafsu bin nafs, like for a life, right? So that's the first haq that they have, right? To stop that cycle of death. See, first and foremost, hold on, we have to understand. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنْ أَجْلِ ذَلِكَ كَتَبَنَا عَلَى بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ أَنَّهُ مَنْ قَتَلَ نَفْسًا بِغَيْرِ نَفْسٍ فَكَأَنَّمَا قَتَلَ النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا Very powerful verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse says, whoever takes مَنْ قَتَلَ نَفْسًا بِغَيْرِ نَفْسٍ Whoever takes a life unjustly. فَكَأَنَّمَا قَتَلَ النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا What does that mean? How is one life verse equal to all life? Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah, he says, listen. You guys know the hadith that says, Al-Mu'minuna karajulan wahid? Like, Al-Mu'minuna karajulan wahid. Like the whole ummah is like one body. And, and, and the reaction to the, when one part gets hurt, what did Rasul said happens to the rest of the body? Who remembers that hadith? Uh-uh, not even that one. Tasa'ir jasad. Like the whole rest of the body goes through fever, goes through hardship, goes through all of this. Why? Because of trying to heal the rest of that other hurt part. So he says, if the whole body is supposed to be hurt because of a hardship caused to one part of the ummah, then imagine how the whole body would react to one person in the, of the community being killed. So it affects, it's a collective effect, right? And he also says that the, the, and we, all, we also look at the fact that that first sin, that first qatal, that happened from where? Qabilin Habil. When that sadaqah wasn't accepted, Rasul he said, that cycle of murder, once it starts, it doesn't stop. Like, like if you grew up in like the hood, you know, once one dude got killed, it just keeps going. And we don't even know why people are getting killed anymore. Right? It's just, yo, they shot what you call it, now we got to get two of theirs. And literally that was Jahiliyyah of the Prophet Sallallahu time. Like, Aus and Khazraj were killing each other. But they even forgot the reason why they were fighting. But it's just a cycle that keeps going when there's no regard for that. that. So the, 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 what the Quran says is the rem remedy for that is not that you place a person life on life and live on my taxes for the rest of you know, your life, chilling in jail, nah. Uh-uh, it's not, it's, not, it's not like that. From the Islamic perspective, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is clear. The family has a haq, which is that per, take that person's life or take the blood money for that crime that they did. So now Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi says, how many rights are there regarding one murder? SubhanAllah. How many rights? First one? Haqqullah. So he says that the person who does tawbah, tawbah tan nasuha, deep tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can forgive that sin, inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we know the hadith, right? You know the person that killed 99, right? And, he's, and he asked for tawbah. Is there a way for me to get tawbah? Wahshi. The verse was revealed about wahshi. Because wahshi, who killed who? 
Hamza radiallahu an, Wahshi wanted to accept Islam. But he's like, yo, I got a bad track record, Ya Rasulullah. Like, I got a lot of stuff on my record. I mean, like, big stuff. And the verse was revealed that, that no, the, he said, the one who accepts Islam, it's all gone. He's like, no, nah, I need, like, a guarantee. Like, he really pushed. Wahshi, like, really pushed. He's like, I need a guarantee of forgiveness. And then the verse was revealed, قُلْ يَا إِبَادَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَةُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا Like, oh, oh, uh, ibadi, قُلْ لِإِبَادِ Say to my servants, never ever lose hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that verse was revealed because of him insisting. I think, I think people are trying to come in. Y'all leaning on the doors like it's exclusive or something. Okay. Somebody, it was probably my daughter actually, so forget this. Okay. Uh, it is? Yeah, look. <laughs> What's that? Huh? Play, inshallah. So, haqqullah uh, can be forgiven, inshallah. No sin except shirk that we can't get forgiveness from. But, but the problem with, 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 with murder is the deep psychological effects it has on the one who takes life. The deep psychological effect. The psychological effect of taking a life is so profound that people don't recover for that from the rest of their lives many times. Of taking one life. Now, studies show that even a soldier, you got to put it the other way, it's not working? SubhanAllah. <laughs> even a soldier who, you could say, quote unquote, justifiably took a life, the psychological effect of that person and someone who unjustifiably took a life is equally as hard on that person. So we're talking about the effect it has on a, a, a macro, a, a, a larger level, but on a micro level, the, the neurological st status of that person is completely disrupted after taking one life. It's very, very, very profound, deep impact on that person. So, haqqullah can be forgiven. Khair. What's the second haq? Haqqul ibad. This one, the person who you need forgiveness from, is already to rahmatillah. There's no way to get that. Right? So he doesn't, Ibn Qayyim al is like, no, there's, the door is closed to that. There's no way for you to get that forgiveness. That's on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Now, now imagine, Rasulullah said about backbiting. You backbite a person, you come on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, take some of the good deeds. Now imagine murder. Like, subhanAllah, what's going to be left? What's going to be left of good deeds? And then the last right was what? Haqq of the fam. So Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi rahimahullah, he explains that um, inshallah, the blood money or those things, whatever they accept, will fulfill the right of that, of that family inshallah. Everyone understand inshallah? The last one? So the, the right of the family, right? The third right, whatever they accept, if they take his life or they take blood money, then the haq of the family has been fulfilled. But on Yom Al-Qiyamah, this person still has to answer, right? And so there are many ahadith and obviously many Qur'an ayahs that talk about uh, what, what does it mean, right? Um, like the, 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 the problem. One hadith I want to share with you before we go to the next one is uh, Nafi radiallahu an. He says that one time, he says that one time, Abdullah bin Umar, one day he was looking at the Kaaba. Yawman, nadra Abdullah bin Umar ila Kaaba. He was looking at the Kaaba, right? Sitting in front. Imagine you're sitting in the Haram. Like, just imagine being in that situation. He looks at it and he's looking at the Kaaba and he's speaking to the Kaaba. And he's like, SubhanAllah, look how grand you are. And he says, Like, how great is your, your hurma? Like, your, how sanctified are you? And then he goes, And then he but a single believer and the believers are more beloved to Allah than this Kaaba. So like imagine what we would feel if we got news that someone like armies went and attacked Makkah, destroyed the Kaaba. We'd be up in arms, right? But you look at Yemen right now, what's going on? Everybody's chilling. Right? Are they not Muslims? Is that not like part of the Ummah? And what, it's just like nothing, Right? But if they attack the Kaaba, we'd all be up in arms, right? Because the bricks of the Kaaba have been broken. But Yemen is, is nothing. Burma is nothing. So the point is to keep things in, in, in line and the, the level of status that they should have. Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in another hadith, he says, Sibabul Muslim Fusuk. 
to swear at another believer is a sign of fisk, a major sin. وَقِتَالُهُ kufr, And to kill another Muslim is a sign of kufr, a sign of disbelief, right? So, tayyib, this is the, this is the second major sin, inshaAllah. Uh, we're going to move on to the third one, inshaAllah ta'ala. Okay, any questions about qatl before we go forward? Any questions about qatl before we go forward? All right, tayyib, inshaAllah. Okay, the next one is extremely important um, major sin to talk about. And um, I want to talk about it from the perspective of this. There are, there are five maqasid of the deen. Five maqasid, objectives of the entire sharia. Five of them. Who knows what they are? Anyone? I Nobody. I got you. Alhamdulillah. So what does this mean, real quick? What this means is, the whole sharia, the whole purpose of the, the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to pre- preserve five asal things, five things. What are they? Number one, life. life. We just talked about that, right? Life. Number two, okay, honor and dignity is one. Next. What? No, so, so justice is needed to preserve these things. These are five things which the sharia is trying to protect. It's life, religion, aqal, wealth, family lineage, and some add honor. Okay? So life, religion, what did I say next? Wealth, and intellect, and family lineage. Like the family structure. These are five things which the sharia, these are called the maqasid, like the things... The whole point of the entire sharia is to preserve these five things. Now, qatl obviously attacks one of them. Qatl obviously attacks clearly, clearly destroys one of them. The next one, the next major sin, actually destroys the structure of of quite a few of these. And the next one Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi rahimahullah speaks about is the effect of zina. Zina. And we all know what zina is, right? All right. So, um, illicit sexual relations, zina. So he says, He says, when, once you realize how destructive zina is, the corruptive nature of zina in and of itself, it is completely opposed to the maslaha or the well-being of the entire world, zina. In regard to preserving that family lineage, that family, the concept of family. And, and, and honoring or protecting chastity. And to protect one's uh, 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 dignity. And he goes forward. He says, This, once you realize how bad this sin is, you'll realize why this is such a major sin in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Throughout the Qur'an, we'll always find two things connected. And sometimes a third. Qatl is always connected with zina. Murder is always connected with zina, fornication. Always. In one verse, Surah Furqan, وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَدْعُونَ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَاهًا آخَرُ وَلَا يَقْتُلُونَ النَّفْسِ أَلَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ وَلَا يَزْنُونَ they do not take a life unjustly, nor do they commit the act of zina. Now, before we go into this, this concept of zina, I want to talk about something. Um, the, the, the sexual revolution that America went through in the 1960s had a deeply profound effect on America as an individual country, but the entire world. So I really want to stop for a moment because we're talking about the destructive nature of zina, but I, I, I want to share some stuff that I've studied and I've gathered from an author. Her name is Mary Eberstadt. For those taking notes, her name is Mary Eberstadt. And she wrote After the Pill. After the Pill, which are the five paradoxes of the sexual revolution. Now, before we go forward, what's the sexual revolution? Sexual revolution is, is pushed forward in 1963, first and foremost, by what? FDA appro- approving birth control. FDA does what? approves birth control. The reason why this sexual revolution is because it's freeing women, right, from the chains of the responsibility of, 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 of children, right? So the first thing is in 1963, the, uh, 
the birth control comes. This is huge. It's very important. Number two thing that really pushed the sexual revolution was what? 1973, 10 years later. Come on, big one. Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade. Now, you know who was one of the major supporters? And in their magazine, huge article on Roe versus Wade? Hugh Hefner in his magazine. Uh, do I need to say who he is? Unfortunately, we all know who he is. Right, brothers? I hope not. Before 1960s, before 1960s, 5%, 5% of American children born were born out of wedlock. Y'all with me, right? Ninth, before the 1960s, 5% are what we call bastards, right? No, seriously, right? 5% born out of wedlock. Listen to this. In in, by the year 1995, take a guess. 32% of every child born in this country born out of wedlock. Doesn't stop. Year 2016, 40% of every child born is an illegitimate, quote unquote. It's probably not even considered illegitimate anymore. I don't know if we can use that even language for it. Once it reaches half, is it now still illegitimate? Or do we just change the language? So, so, the, here, so what, what Mary Eberstadt, Eberstadt wrote were, was that there were five paradoxes. Now, what's a paradox? Paradox is it's supposed to be this way, but it actually turns out another way, Right? So these are five paradoxes I want you to write down regarding the sexual revolution, meaning something was supposed to happen, but five other things happened that weren't intended consequences, unintended consequences of the sexual revolution. Very interesting study she did. Number one, um, the foundation of this sexual revolution, number one, was that birth control was now available and cheap, right? It was now available and cheap. But... The first paradox is abortion and pregnancy rose. Right? The, status, the stats I just told you, right? Like if that, after 1963, it should have dropped, right? But it didn't. It rose. So that's the first paradox, that the, the whole purpose was that it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to do more abortion. We shouldn't have to have, there shouldn't be more illegitimate children. But the first paradox is that after the beginning of the sexual revolution, more pregnancies happened. First paradox. Number two. So what Mary Eberstadt says, it was supposed to liberate women, right? It was supposed to liberate them from the normal status of, of what a family was before, right? But she says, but what happened as a result of a study showed with many different articles that were, that were, uh, that were uh, written in very well-known magazines and different publications that it became harder for women to actually find marriage and family, which were two things that they wanted. So the, the result of that was not that it became something better for them, but the one, two things that they truly wanted, it, it was harder to actually get those two things, which was number one, marriage, and number two, family. And the reason was now because, he, and this is profound, they say that the reason was men were now placed in the driver's seat and the burden of not getting pregnant was placed on her. So like the burden of this whole responsibility of this union, it's not up to me. You just, why didn't you take a pill? Take care of it. Get an abortion. I have no responsibility. Like it's not my fault. And so Mary Everstadt uh, gives this story, which for many Muslims is kind of like, whoa, bro, this don't even, but it does deeply affect our communities. She, she says like, she says like in, 19, uh, in 1970 in her town, a small town in America, uh, a, a, a young teenage girl got pregnant, right? A young teenage girl got pregnant. And she says, but the amazing thing was, was that the guy who was an army vet coming back home from uh, overseas, he said, I'm not getting married. Now, the, the, new, the biggest news was that part right there, not the pregnancy, the part that followed, which is what? Not getting married. 
He's like, before that, it was always understood that you man up to a responsibility. You man up to the commitment. But he's like, she explains what the sexual revolution did. It placed the burden of not getting pregnant on whose shoulders? Allah. Like, like that's, that's not my fault. You had all the resources necessary to not end up in the state that you're in. So this is the second paradox that she uh, mentions is that the complete responsibility went over onto the, the shoulders of the woman. Next thing, which connects to the whole Hugh Hefner. Why would Hugh Hefner be such a huge supporter of Roe versus Wade? That brings her to the next one. She, 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 she says... It was supposed to empower women, but instead it ushered the 2016-17 Me Too movement, which was it licensed sexual predation. It licensed it. SubhanAllah, the words she's using are so profound. Like it, it brought forward, and she uses words. She says it licensed her quote, quote unquote. She says it licensed sexual predation on a scale not seen since invading armies. SubhanAllah. Right? Uh, so profound. And hence, it, why would Hugh Hefner? What is the reason? What, brothers, what would be a reason Hugh Hefner supports abortion? I mean, it's common sense, ain't it? Can you not see the connection, Ahmed? You got me, right? You don't know who Hugh Hefner is yet, do you? You are so, mashallah, Sharif, yo. Mashallah, he just died recently, too. So who here? I'm on Facebook Live right now, too, so. Is there people here still still don't know who Hugh Hefner is? Okay, he founded a magazine which started to make pornography very normal. What magazine was that? Yes, exactly. So that magazine, he's the founder of that. He started, he pioneered pornography, you could say, and make it just so so um so normal. But in for him, he 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 lobbied, he 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 helped push laws that would allow for abortion. Who? The one who objectifies women the most. The one who objectifies the sexual relation and objectifies women the most is the one who's pushing forward legislation for abortion. It's something to contemplate on. Now, the fourth, the fourth paradox, and we're almost done with these, the reason I'm sharing these, everyone, is to understand, like, the mafasid, the harms of, the harms of zina, are profound, and we truly have to understand that Western academics are now writing and explaining to us what was the harms of the sexual revolution that took place 40 years ago, that we're just now able to reap the, and feel the, 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 the effects of. So number four is that it destroyed Christianity since the 60s, completely destroyed Christianity since the 60s. Now, what were the five things that Dean came to protect? Yes. Religion, life, family. And what do we see happening? Just through Zina. What do we see happening just through Zina? Now, you want to know what the fifth one is? Take a guess what the fifth one is. Family. She says the sexual rev revolution didn't stop at just privatizing this act. See, it was like, you know what it's, it, was, it was pushed as? Make this act, which is between you and someone else, a private thing. No one has to know. It's just what happens between you and someone else is a private individual affair. Where we're like, no, this is a huge thing. We have to like announce it. We have to throw Walima. You know what I'm saying? For us, this action is huge. There has to be so much celebration. It's a community. Like we got to call your grandma's grandma, grandma to get approval to do this thing. We got to call cousins and cousins and cousins. The whole community got to be down in order for this relationship, this marriage to happen. So for us, from an Islamic perspective, a mar marriage is a social, it's a communal thing almost. But what was happening through this, it was make this relationship between men and women just something that's in closed doors. So she says the next paradox is it didn't just privatize or transform private life but rather it redefined family life completely. It redefined, completely redefined, fractured family and made family so small. Fractured how? One family in Chicago, one family over here, one family over here, family completely fractured all over the place. And next thing, family small. 
What's the average size of a family in Europe? What, two and a half? Kids, how many children? Like, how many day, like, how, what's the average Muslim family? I ain't going to ask some of y'all. Some of y'all got like 12 brothers, man. 13 sisters. MashaAllah. MashaAllah. Right? So, so the second effect of that fractured in small families, it's led to something in psychology which is being studied now, loneliness studies. Can you imagine? There's a category. You can go Google it. Loneliness studies. You can study the effects of people being in fractured families by themselves. All of this according, not to me, Mikhail, this is according to Mary Eberstadt, a leading academic, is the effect of the sexual revolution. Very profound effects of this on our society. And the reason I bring this up is because we truly need to really contemplate on something that has become normal. Children going up now, the hookup, like you guys know what hooking up is, right? Swipe right, swipe left. Like what? It's so, it's so, uh, Everyone's smiling, like, yeah, okay, everybody. I just found out what swipe right and left was. Like, word? And obviously, the elders, they don't have an idea. Like, why are you talking about zina? Like, it's normal. Because it is normal. It is not strange. But that switch from munkar to ma'roof is a major thing we need to really protect our hearts from. You guys feel what I'm saying here? The hookup culture is, is ushering in that, 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 those are signs of qiyamah, yo. Signs of qiyamah. Allah give us tawfiq, inshallah. Okay, so going forward. So he says, he says, if you look throughout the Quran, you will see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has constantly, constantly connected the falah or successfulness of a people or a person with this protection of the faraj, which the protection of one's chastity and staying away from zina, fornication. He gives different ayahs that speak about that. قَدْ أَفْلَهَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِئُونَ Successful are the believers, those who are fearful in their prayer, those who avoid vain speech, those who pay their zakat, those who protect their chastity, and so on and so forth. Um, and he says that this ayah, for example, explains falah, which means successfulness, and it attributes adun, a transgressor, to the one, now it makes sense. For him to him? Like, yeah, seriously. So what greater dhulm is this? All jokes aside, what greater dhulm is this? So now he says, now this is where Ibn Qayyim and Josie gives us true Islamic psychology right here, okay? I want everyone to listen. This is so beautiful. He says, He says, once you understand that the mabda, the beginning of zina, is basr, Once you understand the connection between basr and faraj, that the zina, the mabda, what is mabda, Nashad? Mabda, beginning. The beginning of zina, is what? The basr. What's basr? I pointed to it. Yes. Philistini, huh? Come on, bro. MashaAllah. So, let me just, uh, all English, I'm very sorry. If there's ever words I'm saying you guys don't get, please, like, like yo, um, excuse me, we don't know Arabic. Can you just, like, say that word? He says that the beginning of zina, we all know zina by now? The beginning of fornication, illicit sexual relations, is is what you look at. He says, for that reason, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prefaced protecting from zina with lowering the gaze. He says, All of the things that affect you, that affect your heart, begin with the sight. Begin with what you look at. And then he says, He says, it starts with another. Listen to this. Here are the stages. Protect yourself. First is nadara. What's nadara? Looking. Then he says, thumma khatara. What's khatara? A, a, a quick thought. Thumma khutwa. Then a step. For this reason, it is said, whoever protects four things, please listen, four things, 
This person will protect their entire deen. Number one, lahvat. Lahava, to look. Number two, khatarat, thoughts. Number three, lahvat, words. Number four, khatawat, steps. Four things. If you protect these things, you have protected your deen. So he says, فَيَنْبَغِي abd." He says, it is necessary for me and you, necessary. What? You have to be the guard of yourself. You have to be the guard of yourself. And one of the problems with Instagram, for example, is you're looking at everything. You are not bawab. Bawab means guarding what you allow into your heart and into your eyes and allow yourself to see. One thing about social media is that scrolling, that studies now show scrolling is just creating depression. I like, I, we could have said that like a long time ago, but all right, we need a study now. Now we believe it. Um, but the, the point is you're not bawab as you're scrolling. How can I be bawab? I don't know what Ibrahim's going to post. Fahimt? Like, I don't know what you're going to post. The whole thing is I want to see what I don't expect. I, I want to see something. I don't know what's coming. That's what keeps me scrolling. So how am I going to be bawab of nafsihi? He says, وَيُلَازِمُ ribat." You have to be on guard, constantly on guard. Ala thuguriha, faminha yadukulu alayhil adu. He says, through these doors, your enemy enters into you. Through these doors. What doors? This door. There's four of them actually. But the first one we're going to talk about is this door right here. Through that, that's where it comes in. He says it comes close to the house. He's given a meta- metaphor that the thief comes in through the door you let open. The thief to your dean, the one stealing your dean, walks in through a door you let him into. He didn't sneak in, you let him in. And how did you let him in? Through the sight. So he says, first thing we need to understand is this lahvat. We said four things, right? So this brings us to what's called zina al-ayn. Ah, zina of the eyes. Zina of the eyes. From the hadith of Rasul that the whole body shares in zina. There's zina of the eyes, zina of the hands, zina of the tongue, zina of the feet, zina of the heart. And then the faraj just confirms what was there already before. The faraj, the, the private part, it just confirms what already existed prior to that in the other places of zina according to the hadith. So listen to what he says about lahvat. What is lahvat? What you look at. You know like lahva? You, you say to someone lahva. It means a moment. Give me a second. That lahva is quick. It's, it's a glance. It's a look. And he says, Ra'id is the thing you send out of your desire. So ra'id means someone you send out in front. So he says, It's the thing you send out, your shahwa sends out. It's the messenger of shahwa. Who? The eyes. And he says, Protecting the eyes is the actual means for protecting the faraj. فَمَنْ أَطْلَقَ بَصَرَهُ أَوْرَدَ نَفْسَهُ Whoever أَطْلَقَ بَصَرَهُ Just lets their eyes look at anything, puts themselves into destruction. Hence the Prophet ﷺ said, لَا تَتَّبُوا النَّظَرَ نَظَرَ Don't let one glance follow the next glance. فَإِنَّ لَكَ الْأُولَى وَلَيْسَ لَكَ الثَّانِي وَلَيْكَ الْأُخْرَى Rasul ﷺ said, don't let one glance follow the next. What this comes back down to, lahvat are what? What you look at. Khatarat are what you think about. Khatawat are your steps you, you, you make. So on and so forth. The idea is control. The believer is supposed to be in control. All of these things should be under your control. And that's what he's trying to let you know that control your sight. Because if you don't control your sight, you can't control your thoughts. And if I can't control my thoughts, I can't control my, my hand from doing something, my mouth from saying something. So the method of control is to back up and see from where the thing that causes that thing and start control there. So he says, and there's a few hadith so we can understand the effect of nadr, looking at haram. By the way, by now we should understand something. We are talking about looking at haram because we're talking about zina, right? We are talking about that, but I think it's more broad than that. I think we can understand that, that in, in general, controlling my mind, 
a lot of it has to do with, with, with the imagery I allow into me. So yes, this is primarily about zina of the eyes, no doubt. Looking at haram. But more than that, it's about in general, controlling what you allow your eyes to consume. Because that is what will affect your mind. So listen to what he says. A few hadith you need to know. He says, Another, the Rasul Sallallahu in a hadith said, Another, Sahmun Masmum Min Sihamid Iblis. Rasul Sallallahu said that looking at haram is a poisoned arrow from the quiver of shaitan. Huh? Siham. It's a poisoned arrow. Let's write the English, bro. It's a poisoned arrow from the quiver. This is a profound hadith. So if I shot an arrow at something, the arrow itself can kill. But what if the arrow's poisoned? Even after the arrow is taken out, the effect of it remains. And Rasul profound, subhanAllah, understanding human psychology at the highest divine level, is saying when you look at haram, she may leave, but the poison is still seeping inside of you. He may walk away, right? Watching Creed 2. That don't harm us, that's them. That's what, this is everybody, right? Uh, see, uh, never mind. <laughs> I try to relate to y'all and make this so you understand. Good, you shouldn't. Subhanallah. We have some pious people up in here, mashallah. May Allah keep us amongst the righteous, y'all. May Allah keep us amongst the righteous, man. Seriously. In, an, in the hadith Rasul Sallallahu um, he says, listen to this, please, listen to these hadith. Man ghadda basarahu an mahasina imra'atin lillah. Whoever lowers their gaze from the beauty of a woman, lillah, for the sake of Allah. Meaning, yo, bro, there ain't no other reason why you're lowering your gaze. Only because Allah. Only Allah. Ya Allah. He says, awrath Allahu. Allah will give you a sweetness of iman yajida, that you will find inside of you. It's beautiful, beautiful. A- a- another hadith, Rasul he said to the Sahaba, I love Sahaba, when you read about Sahaba, they were so much like us. Rasul in a hadith, he said, Iyakum wa julus fit turuqat. Rasul he said, Iyakum wa julus fit turuqat. What does that mean? Stop chilling on the block. I'm serious. It means sitting on the street. Like, I don't see it in Arlington nowhere, but back over on the East Coast, people used to just chill on the block. (sighs) Anyways, so Sahaba would just sit out in the street sometimes and chill. And the Prophet said, yo, no, don't chill on the block. What are y'all doing? It's so beautiful to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, iyakum wal julus ala turuqat. Stop sitting. What are you guys chilling here for? Get do something. Go. So the the sahaba they're like, qalu ya rasulullah majalisuna. They're like we're chilling. Majalisuna. We're chilling. Malana budda minha. We need somewhere to sit. So Rasul Sallallahu said, okay. In kuntum abates. If you have to sit on the block, give the tariq its haq. Give the street its haq. Sahaba like what? Like Main Street has a huck? Arkansas has a huck? There's a street here, right? Like, how does a street have a huck? Rasul said, the huck of the street is what? Ghaddul basar. Because when you're on the street, everything's passing by. First, huck of the street, lower your gaze. Kiful adha. Stop hardship. Waraddu salam. And give salam back to people when they say salam. This is the huck of the street. These are etiquettes of chilling on the block. <laughs> we could do a halakha on this, right? What are the etiquettes of chilling on the block? Okay. Khair, beautiful. Listen closely. This is, I really want us to take this primary message by the end of tonight because this is a major issue. He said, What you allowed yourself to look at is the primary cause for all of the hardships that afflict you. Really think about that. He says, فَنَذَرُ Sight تُولَدُ الْخَطَرَ Sight causes thoughts. ثُمَّ تُولِدُ الْخَطَرَ فِكْرَ A khatara, a thought, 
causes contemplation on something. So the thought, you just saw it. From the thought came the quick thought about it. From the, from the I'm sorry, from the sight came the quick thought. Then, so there's a debate of whether I was having this discussion, I think, with the first year. Is there sin? Is there sin? Are certain sins sicknesses or sins? Those in psychology know exactly what, what I'm talking about. So when you look at certain types of sins, they could be qualified as a sickness or from some like theological perspective, it is looked down upon so it can be seen as, as a sin as well. So you find this conflict where you're like, I'm sick or am I sinning? Everyone understand? I'm not going to go into details. We can talk about some other time. But here's the deal. What our scholars say is the first time a thought comes to you, there's no accountability for that. You're not accountable for that perverse, weird thought that just came. That's from Shaitan. It happened. But what will you get sin for? What are you accountable for? Huh? To, like when you like keep think, play with the thought. Right? Like one thing is you're like, astaghfirullah. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, astaghfirullah, right? What was that, yo? Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Right? Another you like, hmm. 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 <laughs> Everybody, yo, what's up, bro? You're like, oh, none, 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 right? Woo! That's sinful. That's sinful. Because you're, you're allowing that thing to grow inside of you. Now, if that becomes an issue you're dealing with, who caused that issue? Your lack of control for your thoughts. Your lack of control for regulating what you're thinking about. But you're also a victim of Instagram because you only saw it because it came up there. But you should have been guarding what you allowed in in the first place. So, really? You know what I'm saying? All right, let's keep going. I hope this is beneficial for y'all, man. Because this is like, subhanAllah. He says, then when you think about it, the desire for it comes. Shahwa is desire. Then when you sit on it, desire comes. Desire comes, right? Now what comes from desire? Irada. Before action. Irada. What is irada? I want it. I got to get it. I got to get it. Right? Taqwi, it becomes stronger. Fatasiru azima. It goes from, yeah, I want it. To azima. You know what azima means? I'm set on it. I'm going at it. Where did it start from, bro? Ibrahim, where did it start from? Set <laughs> Instagram, bro. Fatakul He says, then the action happens. Wala Buddha. By now you're a victim of, of the psychological process. You're a domino. You're a domino. You guys understand what I mean by that, right? It's it's gonna happen. But you've set yourself up for that. So the real war, the real war for your actions begins with the eyes. The real war for me to be righteous begins here. That's where the war takes place. And why do I say that? It's easier. And he's going to say this. It's easier to have suburb on not looking than to try to stop the action when it's coming hard. It's easier for you to stop, not look at it in the first place than to fight that. When it comes strong, you have to protect it at that point. He says, subhanAllah, he says, What are the evil consequences of just looking at everything? He says, first and foremost, effect of looking at everything, it creates remorse inside of you. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Like it creates fire inside of you, right? It creates a, a des- deep burning desire, but it also creates hasarat. Why? What's hasarat? Uh, remorse. Why does it create a, a remorseful feeling? Because you can't have everything you see. So you can't obtain. I'll give an example. He's going to say, he says, a person will look at a whole bunch of things you can't even get. This is the greatest punishment. The greatest punishment 
is for me to dangle this food in front of you when you're starving. Here. And you're chained up. The greatest adab. But who's, who's punishing who? You're punishing yourself. You're looking at all these things you can never have. So he says, there's a poem. Subhanallah. There's a beautiful poem. And me and my wife were discussing the, the meaning of this poem for like 20 minutes. He said, arguing, I know, right? He says, This is the poem. He says, Whenever you allow your sight to just go ahead of your liqalbika, become go ahead and lead for your heart. Whenever you allow your sight to lead your heart, you will become overwhelmed by all that you see. Overwhelmed. Fa'ad. He says you'll become tired. Tired. Like you feel tired after scrolling. Your brain feels like, oh my God, like it feels weird. He says, You will see. You'll see things that you can't have, all of it. And what's the worst part? And the other part, you can't now do patience from. So two things happening. You see a whole bunch of stuff that you can't have, that creates this anxiety inside of you. Not, not the medical definition of anxiety, but this discomfort. I want it, can't have it. And then when something pops up, now you don't have sabr. Understood? So you've created this, this torture inside of you. So the Imam Ghazali says in Ihya al he says, whoever looks at everything goes majnoon. He goes majnoon. You're, look, you're destroying yourself. You can't have it anyway. Why? I, you don't fast and go to the pizza shop. I'm just giving an example. You don't go walk through, like, I don't know, some store you like to eat at when you're fasting. Why, why would I torture myself? But that's what you're literally doing as you keep looking at haram and keep looking at haram. He says, He says, what's even more crazy is that the, the, the moment that one is looking, the moment one looks at something, he says, it's a saham. It's an arrow that doesn't go at what you look at, but rather hits you. Oh my God, subhanAllah. Do you get what I'm saying? He said that whenever you look at something, something haram, anything, I think this is anything. This is a car. This is a new house. This is all that nice stuff people share on their social media. Whenever you look at something, he says it's an arrow that's not going at that thing but rather an arrow that you're shooting at yourself. So you really have to understand, like the eyesight, it's not going out. The eyesight is taking in. And once you truly understand that my eyesight is pulling in, you understand why he says it's an arrow that you let go and it hits you. So you just got to be like, good, good. Like, I just don't want to see it in the first place. Why do I need to see that? And especially now, I mean, like, there's so many images that we see, and you can't unsee an image, guys. You can't unsee an image. It's etched in your brain forever. And y'all know what I'm talking about. You see a murder one time, you see a, a violent crime one time, and it's like, why did I see that? Oh, my God. I can never forget that, the effect of that. Taib, inshallah. So, almost done with this. He says, so the crazy part, he said, Ajaba was you shoot the arrow, it hits you, right? He says, You know what's even worse than that? He says, As you look at one, one time you look, it causes a cut to yourself, okay? It cuts you. It, it, there's an effect of that. But then he says, but you look again thinking it will relieve you. 
but it doesn't relieve you, it cuts again. So it's, he says you're cutting on cuts. And you just keep cutting and cutting away one look after the next, but you're looking for soothing from that look. But it's not soothing you, it's harming you more each time you look again. SubhanAllah. So, so again, the last poem he ends with, he says, you keep looking one look after the next. After one cut is the next cut is the next cut. You think that next look is a, is a cure for the cut you just made. It's a cut on another cut. He says, each look you're cutting, cutting, finally, it's your heart that you slaughtered. You slaughtered your heart through, that, through those looks after looks. So, Allah give us tawfiq. Be on guard. Again, it's not just about looking at haram. It's about, I, I, don't, I don't need all this stuff to be coming into my brain. I want my brain and my mind to be pure for Allah. I want my heart to be pure for Allah. I want my heart to be focused on what I want it to be focused on, not what media marketers or just random people want me to think about. For this reason, I recommend the social media fast. And I think everyone in attendance, we should do it till next week, inshallah. All right, two days. <laughs> See, I pushed you the whole week, so you're like, nah, heck nah, man. It's two days social media fast. I'll start tonight. Who's down? You down? Nah, nah, word, word. Put it, put it up high. Come on, yo, in the red. No, no, for real. Don't put it up if you're not going to do it. If you're not going to do it, don't do it. I lost all my viewers. Everyone's like, we're done. Okay, listen, listen. Here's the rules. Here's the rules. WhatsApp? Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. Yo, here's the rules. Here's the rules. Facebook completely. Instagram completely. Not consuming, not posting. Okay? Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Am I leaving anything out? Twitter. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah. These things completely. WhatsApp only for family, no groups. Unless the family is the group. Only family. No, iMessage is cool. Individual messaging, totally fine. Individual messaging, totally fine. Social media, main thing. And then those groups in WhatsApp that are just like for fun. Not like emergency, like something serious. You know what I'm saying? Two days. What's today? So it's not even going to be a weekend, subhanAllah. So today, so you get to break fast on Friday. No, Friday, 9, at nine o'clock. You break your fast. Y'all down? And no binging afterward. Okay, listen, listen. What I want you to do, hold on, last thing before we quit. What I want you to do is after, while you're doing this, I want you to take notes on things you feel. I want you to just take notes. Like whenever you get the urge to check, just take a note, just write what you're feeling. Like, yo, I feel kind of weird, right, whatever, this is stupid. Whatever it is, I'm not gonna read it, it's for you. But just take notes. Then when we're about to break the fast at that point, I want you to write your last thoughts about what you experienced from this, inshallah. Everybody down? All right, next Wednesday, I'm gonna ask if y'all held to it, inshallah. Allah knows best. I hope that you taste the sweetness of these next two days and it, it, it starts to uh, multiply over, right? You know what I'm saying? All right, inshallah. Allah give us tawfiq. Any questions before we uh, break, inshallah? What's the effect of that? So it starts from the five and sin origination and all that stuff, but what's the effect of that on our lives? On which thing? So you talked about you don't want to do all that because you want to keep focus on Allah. Oh, no, no. So, so look, we said there's a chain to the final thing, which is action. Many times we go, oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do this action. 
What he's explaining is stop focusing on the action and go back to what starts and causes the actions, whether they're good or bad. And the first place that starts the action and, or harms the action is the another. Then is the thought, then and so on and so forth. So action is the fruit of all of those processes. So as you correct each one of those stages, as you control thoughts, as you control it all, as you control steps, so on and so forth, which is next week. That's the next thing. The next thing we're going to talk about is zina fikr. Zina of fikr. Zina of the mind. We just thought of, did what? Zina with the eyes. Next is zina of the mind. Because you can't stop zina, the action, until you stop these ones. Likewise, with all the actions, you need to control the things that come before it. Right? Now, if you're not getting good thoughts coming in yourself, that's where you need good friends or good reading material or good lectures. If you can't have constant good thoughts, you need it from external places. You guys understand what I mean by that? Some of us can create those good thoughts on our own. Right? Other people don't have that storehouse of good thoughts. They need external sources to provide that constant uh, uh, bombardment, you can even say, of positive imagery, positive thoughts. Okay? And those positive thoughts are very effective in guiding you. Right? They're very effective. Sometimes you'll get stuck in a bad thought. You yourself don't have enough strength to get out. That's when you really need a friend to pull you out of that. Or a specialist that's a Muslim that can pull you out of that. Yes, Sada. Subhanallah. So you hear it too. Yeah. Subhanallah. Allah give us tawfiq. The way I look at this is this. Allah says, Right? Khalifa is supposed to be running the show. You're not running the show if you can't control your eyes and control your thoughts. You're being run. You're not Khalifa. Khalifa controls. But Khalifa starts with controlling me first. Inshallah. Allah give us tawfiq, inshallah. Any other questions? We start right now. I'm about to literally turn it off and that's it. Two days is a breeze? All right, inshallah, alhamdulillah. For us, when I said a week, everybody was like, nah, I ain't even. We're going to up it though. We'll up it, inshallah. But please take, oh, thank you. Uh, please take notes, and that's my last comment. Wa akhru dawana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Zakhla khair.